Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. My guest today is Ed Howie. Ed is one of the most experienced business branding strategists in the world, a serial entrepreneur, and an Enneagram 7. He lives a life grounded in joy and infused with fun. Today, we're going to get into his relationship with alcohol and a moment that changed his life forever. So without further ado, let's go. So welcome, Ed. Thank you. The first question I have for you, because I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, is it said Joy Beast. I love that. <laughs> what is a Joy Beast? Oh my gosh. So um, I like working out. I like fitness and I like winning, but I also really thrive on joy. And to mm. me, joy is peace of mind. And so, you know, like when you walk in the gym and you intentionally want to go for a PR, or you want to like nail that plank 10 more seconds or whatever. I just kind of approach joy that way is that I want to like show up and inspire joy wherever I show up. And some days I have to be more intentional about it than others. I love that. And guys, Ed and I bonded over the fact we're both Enneagram 7. So this conversation, (laughs) we're going to talk about growth, but there's going to be a lot of joy within it. I love that though. So this is Ed, the joy beast. Um, And let's get into it. (laughs) So Ed, when you and I talked last, you were telling me kind of what your life looked like before you really leaned into growth. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you were dealing kind of the previous version of Ed was dealing with some issues with alcohol and addiction. And I would love for you to just paint the picture for our audience. Like what did life look like for you when that was going on? Yeah. You know, and it's interesting since we talked, I've really thought about it. You know, it's not even my previous life and it's not even my previous me. It is that there was me with internal conflict, I guess would be the mm-hmm. way to say. So what people saw today and 15, 18 years ago, I think I'm probably a fuller version of me. But like, for example, on like the showing up at parties and being fun and everything, I still have people that think I'm drunk. You know, the next morning they're like, oh my gosh, how are you feeling? I'm like, I feel great. (laughs) Uh, So what happened is before me was that I still had the same giftedness. I still had Mm -hmm. the same unique DNA. I I still was designed by God, but I was self-governing my ability to show up in fullness because I had this internal conflict. And my internal conflict was evidenced by my relationship with alcohol, Mm. but it was based in the fact that I was losing control of how to calm my mind without alcohol. Yeah. So that was the kind of the band-aid for coping for you. That was the thing that helped you relax at the end of the day and relax at the end of the day. I could be stressed in a moment and like literally think, oh, well, I'll deal with that later. And that what that really meant was, well, I'll get home or we'll get to the dinner party or we'll get on the plane and I'll just be able to chill. Mm-hmm. The chill equaled glass of wine or glasses of wine or beers or whatever. But, you know, yeah, the consumption was a symptom of a different thing. And it was really, I was immature in my ability to control my internal network, Mm. Uh, my mind, my body, my spirit. Let's unpack that a little bit. What did that look (laughs) like? I never said it quite that way, but I mean, really, I I was a 39-year-old internal child in many ways. A 39-year-old internal child. I like that. But like, what did that 
look like? Like, how did that play out in your life? So uh, being a seven, Mm -hmm. uh, you know that by nature, we show up uh, large and oftentimes in charge, but we're so charming. You really don't know we're manipulating the room. Don't tell them that. I know. (laughs) And and guys, we're talking about the Enneagram, if you don't know what the number is. Seven, which is Enneagram, which enthusiast. So there's also a burden to show up with that. There's a mm-hmm. burden to, you know, you see someone that obviously is not having a good day and and I'm just naturally called to do something for them. And so I was depleting my energy. I was depleting my capacity. I was depleting my self-care. I was depleting my ability to manage fear, anxiety. An employee pissed me off. A client pissed me off. I pissed me off. Whatever <laughs> it was is that I wasn't dealing with it in the moment and I was allowing it to just pile up. And I had conditioned and convinced myself that, well, you know, it's like, I want to lose weight. Therefore, I'm going to work out and eat less. Okay. Mm -hmm. My mind had progressed to, I was actually doing myself good by having a glass of wine and chilling and just letting go of it all, which was a lie. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean I am not like anti-alcohol. I'm still the best bartender you may ever meet. Um, and I'm happy to pour you a drink if you want a drink. And I'm happy to pour you a soda if you want a soda. But I was losing control. And then I also, once I started drinking, I had a hard time stopping. And what I meant mm-hmm. by that is that if I mowed the lawn, uh, back when I mowed the lawn, and had a beer at one o'clock, then I'd just drink beer the rest of the day. You know, and so it wasn't um, alcoholism and addiction take many forms. And unfortunately, Mm -hmm. there's a huge stigma around it that you've got to be basically a dumbass on the street who's lost everything. That's the alcoholic. Well, that's a lie. And that could be. But the the corporate executive who's successful and everything uh, could have the same struggle, the same demons as probably more of us have than we admit. So Yeah, because I think a lot of people are high functioning, like it's not in their mind interfering with like their job or interfering with, you know, this role they have to play. So they're like, I don't have it's not a problem. But then when you unpack it, you're like, but you're using it to cope with something deeper or to mask yeah, right. something yeah. deeper. I never Praise God, I never got to the point where I had to have a vodka with brushing my teeth in the morning to make it through the day. Yeah. And there are people that struggle with that. There are people that can't get through the next hour without alcohol or drugs mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. And so through God's providence and his grace, I hit the emergency break. <laughs> but uh, the challenge with alcoholism, and I believe many addictions, coping mechanisms, whatever, is mm-hmm. this progressive. Is progressive. I had a situation due to an injury and a surgery and staph infection, strep, all this kind of stuff, where a year before I stopped drinking, I didn't drink for five months because I wasn't well. My body had to heal. I had a pick line. It wasn't wise. And mm-hmm. so, frankly, that was almost uh, detrimental in some ways because I convinced myself, oh, I don't have a problem. Because I, I was able to stop for a period of time. Like, oh, okay. So, so really, it's just more discipline. And, and unfortunately for me and for most, it's a progressive disease. So when I resumed drinking, I didn't like starting line again. I started mm-hmm. where I was. Yeah. And then went from there. So what was the point where you were like, okay, enough is enough. Or was, was it someone else that said that to you? Was it you that came to this? Like what happened that just, you're like, I don't want to be this guy anymore. Yeah. So I am a huge fan of the logic and the the methodology and the mission of AA. You've probably heard of the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Well, the first step is admitting we're powerless over alcohol and our lives have become unmanageable. Okay. Now 
one, really the only, I mean, a doctor can like say based on your behavior and based on your, your, your system, you're an alcoholic, but it's very difficult for someone to be confident, accurate that someone's an alcoholic or not. It really is. A, it's ultimately an internal, an internal recognition. And frankly, with folks who are struggling with alcohol, sometimes the worst thing you do is say, Hey, are you an alcoholic? Um, Cause there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of like concern, but there was a situation where I was like, stop, I pulled emergency break. And let me talk about that, but let me talk about what led to that. Yes. Is please. that I found myself trying to convince myself that I can control it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like if we're at a party, I mean, it's ridiculous now, but it was logical to me that if we're at a party and the wine's not super cold or the beer's not super cold, I just won't drink it. Okay. Cause I can control it. You know, if they don't have real glasses, it was plastic. I won't drink it. I only have wine on Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, now I'd never verbalized this. No one knew this mm-hmm. was going on. I would get in. We had a, we still have a refrigerator that has sodas and beer and wine in it in our garage. And, you know, I would worry about not having enough bottles of wine. Like mm. if there was not more than one or two in the refrigerator, I was worried about, we might not have enough for the night. I mean, uh, we're yeah. having a party. I wasn't going to drink three bottles, but it was just, so this, you know, we talk about consumption of alcohol. It was consumption of my mind. Mm. Okay. So I was unsettled. And then I was on a business trip, which is when the emergency break I pulled. But there was an article in, in the USA Today, 2006, and it said, if you have more than four or five drinks in one sitting once a month, you're a binge drinker. And my first response was, bah! You're like, I think that might be everybody. There's going to be a typo. And I mean, I wasn't like pounding three drinks in the garage, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to take out the trash. I was doing some stuff like that, but nothing like that. So I was like, yeah. But then frankly, what happened is that a situation, I was on a business trip. Frankly, a client pissed me off. As an enthusiast, it's hard for us to acknowledge displeasure with others. Mm -hmm. We feel guilty or we don't want to upset the the vibe, if you will. And so I was angry. I was hungry. I was lonely and I was tired Mm. and it was perfect formula for me to believe that I'd earned a drink. So I had a bottle of wine while I stayed late to fulfill my client's uh, (laughs) unreasonable request, sort of. And then I went to uh, dinner and um, was at a restaurant sitting at the bar, uh, baseball players were on. So I had uh, dinner and had a couple glasses of wine and there were several business people around the bar said, hey, we're going to go finish the game and play pool at a sports bar. So I went over there and then had some Bud Lights and I wasn't like trying to get drunk. I wasn't trying to pound drinks. But it went on for a couple hours. And then I made the stupid asinine reckless decision to drive back to my hotel. Mm. It was only it was only like two blocks away, right? You know? Only. Only two blocks away. So mm-hmm. so one, honestly, I don't care whether you're an alcoholic or not. If you have more than one drink, <laughs> you don't need to be driving. Okay? No, don't risk it. Don't risk it. I mean, the consequences of that decision led to a great decision. The consequence could be horrible because mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was closing time. So it was like two o'clock, I guess, whatever time it was. I mean, Mitch, and I'm driving at the hotel and there's a railroad crossing and the bar's down and I stopped the railroad crossing. And by the grace of God, again, I put it in park and I fall asleep. Oh, wow. And yeah. And so uh, the next thing I know, there's police cars, the blue lights flashing, the cops knocking on the door and just running. I haven't hit anyone. No one's hurt. But I was clearly not sober <laughs> and uh, I was processed and arrested for uh, drunk driving. Well, actually, I feel like- I'm processed for operating a motor vehicle while impaired because it was not actually moving. Yeah, you weren't actually running. But like, let's like stop there for a moment. Like, yeah, by the grace of God, like you could have stopped on the tracks. You could have. Uh, yeah. Like yeah. that's. <laughs> yeah. Someone it, is it, looking it, out for you at that point in your life. Looking out for me, looking out for those around me. And I mean, 
I do not suggest that my disease had no shrapnel because it did have shrapnel. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was not like movie epic. Uh, thankfully, I hadn't gotten to that. But my wife's concern, uh, concern for my presence around the kids, you know, just like peace of mind, always being anxious. I mean, yeah. just so the deal though is to 98% of the world, I was like, still that. I'm still joy beast, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but this internal joy was not there. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was kind so, of an empty joy almost. Like you had the mask that was on because that's what you wanted, but on the end, inside it was hollow and, a little bit. and i would say it was i wouldn't even say it was empty it was conflicted because i could be in the moment and be celebratory or be brilliant or whatever but there was this constant like friction that i didn't tell anyone nor was i really acknowledging okay so i'm in conflict even though to the world and i mean joy and i don't again I don't, joy to me is not like <laughs> joy is peace of mind Okay. Yeah. I showed up in rooms calm. I was still, but I wasn't. And so mm-hmm. not being familiar with AA, but not like knowing it, uh, literally uh, I'm in the back seat when my hands are behind my back and I'm being <laughs> driven downtown and it's got to be after three o'clock in the morning by this point, I guess. And so we're driving downtown and uh, I just forward it and I literally say, God, uh, apparently I'm alcoholic and you are the only power that's strong enough to help me overcome this. So Father, I ask you to remove the desire of alcohol from me. Amen. And this is while you're in the back of the cop car. Yeah, I, I'm saying it out loud. Now, I had a, not to be woo-woo, but I, mean, I had an epiphany, a revelation several years later. Because when I was saying I was looking forward and the cop was watching me through the mirror. Mm-hmm. And when I said amen, he said amen. Mm. And uh, that didn't like really like come back to me until a couple of years after. This was uh, September 28, 2006. And so I went through the process. It was an out-of-town situation. So I had to fly back three times. The cop never appeared all three times. Mm -hmm. And so at the third time, the arrest was expunged. The risk or the reality was never expunged. I was prepared for to do whatever I had to do, uh, whether it be jail, whatever. I honestly, at that point, I didn't care. I mean, I Mm -hmm. really, if, and and even, I mean, I love my wife. I've been married 32 years, but even that point, I was like, if she's going to leave me over this, leave me. You know what I mean? I, I just, it was so central to me that I could no longer fight this demon in silence and I had to um, deal with it mm-hmm. and everything else was secondary at that point. What was your experience with that? Because I think a lot of people have a fear that if I'm honest, if I actually let people know what's going on, everyone is going to abandon me in life. And for some people, that reality may be true. But what was your experience with that? The things that kept me from acknowledging this disease, mm-hmm. this condition, but also this like literally disease, this unease, you know, this, this friction. I didn't want to be at the alcoholic. I didn't want to never be invited to a party again. Mm-hmm. And I ne- didn't want to frankly steal other people's joy because I was in the room. Mm-hmm. And so those three things really were the primary things that caused me. I mean, I want people to appreciate me and I want to be valued, but as I've gotten older, I really don't care what you think. You know what I mean? But <laughs> I don't want to do anything to call, you know, I, I don't do any destructive or hurting of someone else, but it wasn't even about, it wasn't about like what the world thought of me. Mm-hmm. It was really more about, I didn't want my problem to have any kind of unnecessary impact on those around me. Yeah. And frankly, I didn't want to be put in the penalty box the rest of my life. 
that's a good way to put it. I didn't want to be put in the penalty box the rest of my life and, yeah. or be the guy that everyone's out and you're like, I'm not going to have a drink and feel like you somehow yeah. messed with the fun or the yeah, exactly. level of fun in yeah. the room. Yeah, for sure. So the event happened with the cop. I love that about him saying amen in the mirror. Like yeah. that was confirmation yeah. and someone agreeing. And then what did it look like after that? Did you go straight into AA? Like what was that transformation <laughs> process like? The, the next 24 hours were uh, complicated. Uh, oh my gosh. I mean, literally, I'm, I don't care. I'm sharing everything. Uh, so of, of all the people to call, I called my mother-in-law. My wife oh, called. interesting. Yep. Because I knew uh, she would jump directly to dealing with this situation. Like, okay, what needs to happen? And we would deal with any kind of like disappointment, which I mean, she was a very graceful woman. So funny thing, I call her and wake her up at like 7 a.m. in the morning, whatever. And, and I said, Carol, uh, I'm in jail. I've been arrested for uh, DWI and I'm apparently an alcoholic. And she's like, oh, honey, you're not. The first thing she says is, oh, honey, you're not an alcoholic. I was like, no, no, I'm pretty convinced I am. <laughs> but of, of all the things, of all the response, the funny thing yeah. is that was the first thing. And so, you know, I, I got bail posted. I was out of jail, if you will, in about three hours. Hours, whatever. But then it became what, what I'm going to do next. And so um had a long chat uh, with my wife that night. Probably the only time, God, I'm sharing everything. Probably the only time our daughter heard her truly yell at me. Mm-hmm. And it was out of fear, out of what could have happened. Yeah. And she was pretty clear. She said, you've got to do this for you, but understand we're not going through this 10 times. She said, if you have a problem, which I'm pretty sure you do, I'll help you solve it, but you've got to solve it. We're not going to like attempt to make this right. That's a strong boundary and that's powerful because it's like, I'm giving you, yeah, I'm giving you the space to heal and we'll do this, but we're not, this is not going to be a pattern and a cycle that I'm going to go through. I'm not, I'm not around for the circus. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And so I get back to San Antonio. I go to my first AA meeting. It's a Saturday night. Back then it was a smokers meeting. It was 10 p.m. And uh, it was a very uncomfortable situation. Not the topic, but I don't personally like cigarette smoke. It was an experience where I was very uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable with myself. I was uncomfortable in the situation. I was uncomfortable with the reality. But I heard from a tremendous cross-section of humans and experiences and and levels of disease and levels of sobriety. I received hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't comfortable with what I received hope. And I walked out and, and you know, I kind of told God, I was like, okay, if that's what it takes to heal, I'll do that. And so the next morning I had to get on a plane and fly to Las Vegas to support a client for four days at a trade show. That was my rehab. <laughs> <laughs> Literally uh, being sober in Vegas and seeing all of that in sobriety and not only navigating it fine. I went to a couple of meetings, but seeing people at all levels of drunkenness, Mm -hmm. I don't need any of that ever again. Uh, That's powerful. Yeah. I still love Vegas. And honestly, it is for that, that I can have a reminder being in that environment that you can have fun without alcohol, but also like how abused alcohol is. So. Yeah. And I, I think that's huge because I, I completely agree with you. I'm like, it's possible to have a lot of fun without alcohol in your life, whether you want to like lessen it, cut it out completely or however you want to handle that. But it's like, you can still bring the party. You can still bring the joy. It's not the alcohol that does that. I think for a lot of people, maybe it, you know, takes down some of their, <laughs> well, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah I mean, like 
Like my wife can have it. a glass of wine and like she can leave. I mean, still, I don't understand people not finishing a drink like in a restaurant. <laughs> it still bothers me. Like, wait, there's alcohol there. But anyway, but I'm kind of that way about French fries too. But anyway. Yeah, completionist. But, you just need to complete the task. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You had a job, do it. Yeah. You know what really I think within the first, I mean, one, and again, I was not like fall over drinking. It was just constant or it was reckless or it was like with no govern. Okay. Mm. But I mean, I'd have hangovers, but I wasn't like, you know, barfing every night. I drank. Yeah. I mean, so it was, I don't know. I, I don't call it functioning because I wasn't fully functioning. But mm-hmm. anyway, so like navigating Vegas for four days, totally sober and waking up at six o'clock to go to 7 a.m. AA uh, meeting. I mean, it was just an awakening because I realized how much alcohol was chiseling away at my fullness of life, at my presence, at my endurance, at my awareness, just everything. And so I was like, you know what? I want more of that. It transitioned from avoiding alcohol to living into the fullness of life. Hmm. Uh, Yeah. I mean, that's really what it was. It wasn't, yeah, there was a lot of work to, you know, reconditioning behaviors and you show up at a cookout or you show up at the lake or you show up wherever and there's all these behaviorals and there's all these rituals and there's all this stuff. I mean, Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, I'm candid. Uh, so we had a very, 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 so it's been 15 and a half years, I guess, mm-hmm. 928 March. Yeah. So over 15 and a half years that I haven't had alcohol, I'm an experiential guy to me. Yeah. You know, I'm in marketing, I'm in branding. It's about the experience, not just about the stuff. So um, about four years ago, my wife started giving me these Baccarat cocktail glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the crystal, they're the heavy ones, you know, like the super bougie, uh, super deal. But so she gave me, I guess it was two years ago, she gave me two and then she gave me two more. So so yesterday, get home, we've been dealing in a situation with a client, very stressful, very anxious, very complicated mm-hmm. um, for weeks now. And yesterday was the culmination of that to where we had some events and everything. So I got in and I literally, you know, that whole thing of like collapsing in the chair, I literally collapsed in the chair. She looked at me and said, you need a bath. I was like, a smell too? And she said, she said, let me draw you a bath. Okay. I was like, that sounds awesome. So yeah. I went and got my, you know, Marie Kay stuff. And I go in there and she had drawn the bath. Uh, she had lit candles like she does for herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, she put the little stuffy in there, you know, in the water that dissolves and everything. And so she turned off all lights. She said, just rest. Mm-hmm. Just calm down. So I had my, I usually have a turvis with me and I had my turvis ice water. Well, I get in the, I didn't even notice it until I got in the tub, but beside the tub, there was a Baccarat crystal glass full of ice and full of Topo Chico. Oh, I love that. And I mean, really, I've not verbalized this to anyone. I mean, this is literally last night. That was like really a beautiful full circle moment of the opposite of before and after, if you will, Mm -hmm. because I sat there and it wasn't like I was pretending it was alcohol. It was a drink. It was a refreshment. Okay. Mm -hmm. It was a cold beverage in a hot tub. You know what I mean? It was in a nice glass. She even had a little linen napkin. She's all into napkins now. So she has this like linen and gray, not in gray, what do you call it? Embroidered. Embroidered. Yeah. Embroidered napkin. (laughs) And I walked after chilling everything. I walked in there and said, that's one of the nicest things you've ever done for me. Mm. 
you know? And that's such a good example of that ritual. I know people will be like, I need to pour that glass of wine at the end of the day because it's my like my ritual of decompressing and everything. And it was the same. You got, well, I would say you got more out of it than you would have from just a glass of wine. But it's like you got that time to decompress, some alone time. You got your refreshment. Yeah. The only thing I've given up is the angst. Mm. The only thing I've given up is the turmoil. The only thing I've given up and I've gotten so much more. So for me, it's like, I don't care what it is someone may be struggling with, is that we think about what am I going to give up? Well, you got to flip the equation to what do you get? What are you running towards? You know yeah, when I mean? alcohol left your life, yeah. like what were you? Yeah. Like, and, and, yeah. You're trying to lose weight. I mean, it's all about that I'm not going to have pie today or, or I'm, you know, I'm some stupid crazy diet and I'm going to like avoid green beans or whatever it is, you know, or <laughs> eat green beans. You know, it's yeah. like if we only focus on what we're giving up, we can lose, I think, one, some of the joy from the journey. Mm-hmm. But also, we got to flip the equation of what are we running to? Yeah, because you've got to have that destination to anchor you at because otherwise it's why am I just giving things out of my life that maybe I really like? One of the things that's different to your original question was that I am more intentional about what I'm wanting mm-hmm. versus what I'm avoiding or what I'm sacrificing. I like that. That's, and that's the seven in you. It's looking for, instead of like dwelling on this, like the negative of the things that I'm having to give up and let go of, it's like, what do I get out of this? Like, how is my life going to be better? My relationship's going to be better. And it's finding that, that joy. That's right. And it's also like, I believe now, you know, for me, like a hot bath every day is not the ritual. Last night was awesome. Okay. But when I say, but I mean, is that the, let's break it down to not the characteristics of it, but the root of it mm-hmm. was that I was depleted. I needed to be re-energized. My wife facilitated that in a healthy way. And frankly, not only did she facilitated, she saw the need and she acted. Yeah. You know, and to me, that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. And if you are distracted, if I'm distracted by this alcohol turmoil or whatever someone may be challenged with or, or, or sadness of the loss of a parent or a loved one, whatever it may be, is when it pulls us, whatever's pulling us out of the game is preventing us to not only show up for others, we're not showing up for ourselves. And I think it's like, I believe we are all uniquely designed by God to love him and love others. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I ask that if anybody's watching this and don't believe in God, I care, but I don't care. And what I mean is that, that if you don't believe in God, that doesn't mean that loving others is not a higher calling. Yes. Okay. And so don't get caught up in the framework. Okay. Listen to the, what I'm saying in full. And that Mm -hmm. is that I believe I'm designed by God and I believe God is providential. I believe he calls us to love one another. Mm. I believe we are all called to love one another. Yes. And so when we are burdened, when we are self-governed, when we are in angst, when we are anxious, we were living fear, whatever, we're not being able to be our fullness. Therefore, we're not able to show up in the way we need to show up for ourselves and others. And so overcoming, you know, is part of his overcoming, but also part of his running towards what you want. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and letting the things fall away that are slowing you down and holding you back. Yep. I mean, so, for me, it's like, I love work. I mean, crazy. I love sleep and I love working out at 530 in the morning. 
Yeah. But I wake up when that alarm goes at 440. I don't think about, oh my gosh, I got to walk on the door and, and like I teach cycling. And so whether riding or teaching, it, it's like, I'm not thinking about, I never visualize the start of the class. I'm visualizing how I'm going to feel at 620 when we walk out the door. Yeah. That again, that like end point, that finish line, you're like, I'm yep. going to feel so good. And so I'm going to get out of bed, even though I love sleep too. Yeah. Well, it's just like with our situation with our client, we kind of hit a milestone yesterday. And so when it was all said and done after a lot of work and a lot of concern and a lot of care and a lot of like intention, their response, their appreciation, our appreciation of what we had done, our satisfaction, that's what we were working towards. You mm-hmm. know? And so sometimes we get caught up in the current emotion and we lose sight of the true intention. So, mm-hmm. so going back to Ed, who is in that car asleep in front of the railroad tracks, yeah. If there's someone listening today that's there in that place, maybe not that exact circumstance, but there's somewhere where it's, I don't have control over this thing in my life, like, or I think I have control and I'm realizing that I don't. Mm-hmm. What is one thing, if you could just give them one thing today that they could start doing, like if you were like, start here, what would that be for if you were talking to yourself back in 2006? I'm going to give you a two-part answer. Okay. okay. The two-part answer is first... If you have some gut concerns, then at least follow the gut concern to the data, okay? And that means that if you're feeling powerless over alcohol, and I don't mean about like, oh my gosh, I drank too much. I must be an alcoholic last night. I mean like the pattern, you know what I mean? The mm-hmm. control it has over me. I haven't met many people who have started really thinking they might be powerless over alcohol who weren't, okay? Mm-hmm. Powerless over whatever, okay? Yeah. One of the most powerful things you can do is to acknowledge what you're powerless over. And so- don't get caught in the powerless, focus on the powerful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have people still that kind of pity me or they're like, oh, I'm so proud of you. And and I appreciate the attention. Yeah. I duly do. But it's like, you know, there's a fine line, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's a disease, you know, it's, it's yeah. a condition, right? And so, so you, I want to be inspiring, but I don't need to be coddled for lack of a word. So I like that. I think that's very true because there is, it's just like the stigma of like admitting this was a thing in your life. It's, there's also that like, it's uncomfortable when people are constantly like coddling or worried about you. Maybe it's right. around a social event or you're like, I'm and, good. And the tensions are, the tensions are deal. Mm-hmm. The deal is just don't ignore me either. I mean, if I'm at the party, you know, let us be at the party. You know what I mean? If you're getting refills of drinks for the people with alcohol, don't forget about the person. And, and man, if you own a bar, stop giving us the little four ounce Dixie cup of water. Okay. We deserve a full size glass. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's part of it. Uh, that was the first half. And I had a second part to that answer. And I got on a little soapbox about glasses. The the second part of it was that comparing now to then is that the concept of a sober mind is to me has really nothing to do with alcohol. It's about being in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And you'd asked about like if someone was struggling. One is, like I said, if you think you're powerless, you're probably powerless. But then if you are not to the point where like you're like totally like, I mean, literally locking the door and drinking by yourself. I mean, hopefully you noticed some signs before that. I'm a very logical person too. Mm -hmm. And I had someone early on say, here's a sheet of paper, write down all of the things that alcohol will solve in your life. Mm. Empty sheet of paper. Empty sheet of paper. Mm. So for me... There's a practical side of like overcoming this. It is that I'm not, and I, frankly, I have uh, young men and women I've worked with. I finally stepped up to the plate and said, I'm going to address this when I was 39. I what, didn't try to do it in college. The people that do this in college, I just, 
and just in all of that because of social pressures. Mm-hmm. But I had to take all the philosophy, but also make it very practical. And so I start thinking, and I haven't had a, I haven't had a, like a dangerous moment, really, frankly, ever. Mm-hmm. Like one time where I had to call someone, kind of taught me off the ledge of, of I was heading down the path and I was like, hit stop. But yeah, um, I had to recognize two things. One is alcohol, this feeling I have, whatever it is, alcohol will not solve, mm-hmm. will not solve. It will not solve it. Second is if I ever drink again, all on me, all on me. It's not about that my wife yelled at me or my client was irresponsible or I'm having a bad day. I'm not a 21 year old at a keg party where there are beer bongs and someone could potentially like kind of force you into a bong. Yeah. If I consume alcohol again, it's because I put a glass to my lips and I chose to drink. I love that. It's that personal responsibility, which again, I was talking to someone about this earlier. It's taking your power back and saying like, again, this is on me. I'm not going to blame anyone else for my choices and my decisions. And then I love that exercise of them having you take the piece of paper and what problems does alcohol solve? in my life. Yeah. I think that's huge because a lot of times I think people can in there, you know, can kind of be like, oh, it helps this and this. But it's like, if you really get down to it, it's like, it's not solving any problem for you. It might be masking them a little bit, but it's not. Yeah. It's not solving anything. No. And again, I'm not anti-alcohol, but for me, you know, and the last thing I'll say is that um, as we look at alcoholism as a disease, it is really amazing how the world handles it versus other illnesses and stuff. But mm-hmm. like from a practical standpoint, the other illustration that I heard early on is that if you were allergic to bees and you knew a bee sting would kill you, would you put your hand into a beehive? Mm. It's like, uh, no. And this Absolutely so not. Yeah. Now I still go out. I, I'm actually a certified bartender. I work <laughs> a charity event and sell beers for a couple of hours with a bunch of guys every year. And you know, for me, that's okay. I don't recommend that for anybody. You got to choose. Okay. I've chosen to do that. You may not need to be in that environment. You may not want to be, but again, you choose, I'll choose. We're good. But it's no one's fault if I drink again. Yeah. It's all on you. It's all on you. And again, I love that because that's taking accountability and in owning not like who you are and any like mistakes or mishaps you've made in your life. You're like, it's on me. It's I'm not going to like outsource my problems to everyone else. Well, it's like my GP was like, you know, I was something about my weight or BMI or whatever. And and I was like, you know, and he goes, he said, Ed, let me tell you, the answer is really simple. You either have to consume less or burn more. <laughs> I was like, yep. Yep. Sorry, all you Instagram like fitness stars making yeah. it super complicated. I mean, it really is. It's either input or output, right? Mm-hmm. And so you got to find the right balance of what works for you. And yeah, that's kind of how it is in life, frankly. Yes. Oh, I love that. And thank you so much for sharing like your story and what you did to, I mean, continue to grow and overcome. But I like to end every podcast with this. What is growth to you? Uh, That's easy. Growth is stewardship. Growth Mm -hmm. is stewardship. And to me, stewardship is doing all you can with what you have today, not what you wish you had from yesterday or what, what you hope you have tomorrow. But today, have you, have I done all I can with what I have today? And it's clear, Lily, with what you're doing with this and, and your messaging and your your heart and your lens, you're trying to do all you can with these conversations. I mean, talk about like get to the core of the conversation. Wow. I've shared with you more in a recording than I've shared with many people at a dinner table. And I'm okay with that. But I mean, you're in the moment. Right now, this is what we're doing. And we're both have brought our most authentic selves to the conversation. And this, hopefully this is a good illustration of how we should show up and everything. 
Oh, thank you. I received that. And I would love for you to let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah. So uh, edhowie.com, actually. Got my own website. And my business enterprise is we really love entrepreneurs. And my passion is frankly serving the isolated entrepreneur or isolated entrepreneurial leader. So we have a podcast channel called How We Grow a Brand. And it's all about marketing and branding and growing your business. But it's also about life and joy and inspiring joy in others. And then my fir- I'm actually a keynote speaker and soon to be author. Are you an author when you're writing the book or when it's published? But anyway, uh, my I first think you're book, an author when you're writing the book. I, I, based on the process, I think so. Yeah. But so uh, my first book, The Wonder of Woo, will be published late 23, early 24. Oh, and because they might think you're talking about woo, like I was just talking about woo earlier. Will you please tell them what woo stands for? Yeah. So woo stands for winning others over and over. And woo is not just like being like suave and persuasive and liked. Woo is an action. So the best way I could describe it is that, you know, that feeling you have when you do something intentionally good for someone else, mm-hmm. or, you know, that, that feeling you have when someone does something intentionally good for you, that's woo. You know, oh, to me, yes. we believe that woo is an intention. It's an action and it's an outcome. It's a win. And the beauty about woo is woo is like a win-win for, because when you do something good for someone else is a win for you and vice versa. And so we believe that like deliberate woo, intentional woo is powerful. It's what the world needs. And we also believe that it's the pathway to joy. Oh, thank you so much for sharing Ed and guys, all of the links to his website and business and will be in the show notes. So please go check him out choose growth this week. And as we always end, be not afraid of growing slowly. Be afraid only of standing still. Thank you, Ed. Amen. That's awesome. Lily, your joy. Thanks for allowing me to have this time with you. Oh, thank you. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold. <laughs>